Hello and welcome to the Pastor and People podcast. This is the host, Isaac Adams, and I am sitting here with Thabiti Anyabwila. Hey, what's good, bro? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, man. Yeah, man. How was your holidays? It's great, man. It was great. Good time with the family. Get a couple of gifts. I turned, I got older. How about that? I had a birthday. Happens every year. That's, that's right. <laughs> right. Look at you. Look at you. Smart and the pastor. Like, why why they pay me the big bucks, brother? Right. How was your holiday, man? Man, it's a wonderful holiday. We had a quiet Christmas here in D.C., uh, just mainly the nuclear family, which is, mm. as my kids point out, but that, that was weird. That hadn't happened in a lot of years, mm. but uh, quiet time here. Then over the New Year's, um, after Christmas through July, January 2nd, we were in Houston at the Chinese Missions Conventions. Okay. First time I've been in, I've been with the, the Chinese diaspora, the Christian mm. Chinese diaspora, 2,400 or so mm. uh, Chinese brothers and sisters. And we, we the only, we the only one of us mm. up in there. Mm. And uh, it was sweet, man. It was sweet. The Lord did a nice work in my own heart, just showing me how expansive his work is mm, uh, in the world praise and uh, how much, how much zeal and expectancy is in the life of the the Chinese church, or at mm. least those folks who are gathered for that missions conference. And so that's how we brought in the new year, man. It's it's become an annual thing. We find ourselves at missions, missions conferences. Cross, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Campus outreach <laughs> last year. Right, so right. uh, so that's a, it's turned out to be a sweet way yeah. to be celebrating Christmas, yeah. is to be thinking not just about the advent, of our Lord coming up to Christmas, mm. but to be thinking about the work of missions uh, on on the hills of Christmas, Amen. and so it was a sweet, sweet little holiday time. Well, and Lord willing, I mean, it's 2016 now, and at the end of this year, we got another we've, cross. We've got Lord cross willing. in Indianapolis, That's and right. uh, my right. my kids are already looking forward to that, That's man. Right. And so, and what a treat that is as a as a as a father, mm. that, that, you know, and certainly as a pastor uh, to have your teenage and your your middle childhood kids. Mm. Um, looking forward to missions conferences mm. and uh, mm. wanting to hear the word preached and wanting to, to sort of hear about the the Lord's work around the world. Mm. So we're, I'm very much looking forward to Cross and uh, folks should be checking out the Cross website and, mm. and getting ready to register and bring students and all that good stuff. It's going to be a good time. There we go, man. I'm looking forward to it. Um, holidays are good. Cross, missions conferences are good. You know what's also good? What's that? Crab cakes, man. Ah, look at you. I look mean, not to you. put them on the par of those other... Of course, wonderful things. But uh, just for the folks listening, I just wanted to know that we had some of the best crab cakes I've ever had. And I grew up here in Washington, D.C. It was a good time, man. Southeast D.C. Yeah. Neighborhood, man. Some and, surprising things in the city. <laughs> That's right, man. And you got to pay because your team yeah. See, you we, know, lost. We, wait, let me. Your team lost to my team. And I know you're not to be a gambling man, but nonetheless, you had to uh, cover today's game, Yeah, right? I just, I, you, you didn't want me to say this, but I just wanted to point out, we, we knew from the moment you mentioned crab cakes that that was, <laughs> that was pretext <laughs> for you to talk about your idolatrous love affair with the Carolina Tar Heels, who, who, yes, beat the NC State Wolfpack a couple yep. weeks ago, and, Again. and, and therefore Again. I bought you some, some crab cakes, but... Um, Talk to me when they test eligibility again. Hey, <laughs> to me, that's a tertiary issue, my tertiary. friend. Tertiary. Well, that's, that's, the tertiary. that's the Carolina administration's <laughs> perspective, too. <laughs> All I see is the scoreboard, man. There you go. There you go. It read in my favor. So anyway, man, we were talking <laughs> at lunch as we were thinking about it, and we were just kind of reflecting on the year and talking about what we were hoping even for this next year. So that's what I just... We want to hop on the porch and do that. And we're in this Pastor and People podcast. Mm. Uh, and even now, I just would want to praise God that we got to release a number of episodes last year. Amen. And had to have a number of conversations. 
Uh, but I want to look back at 2015 with UT uh, and just talk about some of these, some of the events that you thought would ha- that you thought happened and you saw them. And you're like, well, here are my thoughts about this thing and this event right here. And even maybe then we can turn that to some predictions about 2016, given what's happened mm. and how the Lord has sustained uh, us and the church and what he's let us go through. Uh, and he still yet, uh, he upholds us with his mighty arm. Mm, amen. Uh, so thinking amen. about that in light of 2015, issues in 2015. Well, you know, in some ways, I'm the worst guy to have this conversation with because I don't read newspapers. I don't, I don't watch television news shows. I, I get most of my news uh, online and that usually um, by reference from people that I, I trust and respect. And so I'm not the best guy to do the survey of the headlines. But I will tell you, um, probably no surprise to listeners, that there are some things that at least caught my attention um, in 2015, some domestic, some internationally. On the domestic side, it, it would be hard for me or anyone to deny um, the whether you think of it as positive or negative, the continuing momentum and activity of the Black Lives Matters mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. That's a broad thing. That's not one thing. Um, one website with some principles are going to be different from other people who are on the street involved in that. Um, but that basic slogan, which became more than hashtag activism, mm-hmm. became sort of on the street at City Hall mm-hmm. activism. Um, and that slogan's ability to capture dignity mm-hmm. and capture an assertion, which is bizarre to have to make, mm-hmm. but nevertheless um, important to make, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. um, that's continued to be an important issue, an important development in the life of the country. And of course, that's connected to other sets of issues around which um, that that assertion, Black Lives Matter, kind of crop up, um, over-incarceration, mass incarceration. What we're seeing with the, um, how shall we term it, the novel, sometimes, use of grand juries mm-hmm. or the uh, questionable use mm-hmm. of grand juries and the way in which our grand jury system is being uh, increasingly suspected of avoiding true accountability mm-hmm. for agents of the state to whom we give life and death authority. Mm-hmm. That That's going to continue to be a, an, an ongoing conversation and issue in legal circles, I think, for people who care about those sets of issues. I, I was interested to see uh, yesterday or day before that in the Freddie Gray case in Baltimore, a judge has compelled one of the officers to testify. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that happens in the actual jury case, Mm -hmm. if you make it that far, that could prove to be, uh, we don't know yet, but it could prove to be monumental in the pursuit of accurate understandings of what happens in these incidents and the pursuit of a fair and just determination. Um, And so I think we're going to see increasing at least debate and discussion about the role of the criminal justice system writ large and grand jury systems in particular um, as we think about mass incarceration, over-incarceration, over-policing of certain communities and so on. Um, the other thing on the domestic side, of course, is, is uh, Oberfell and, and the ruling in um, with regard to gay marriage. Yeah. I think the church is yeah. still going to have to keep wrestling with mm-hmm. uh, how to be faithful to the Bible's mm-hmm. sexual ethics mm-hmm. and to the nature of humanity mm-hmm. and human sexuality um, to be both faithful and loving mm-hmm. in a context that is increasingly contrary, officially and legally contrary right. 
to the Bible's uh, ethics in that case. And so uh, that I think we're going to see more of that going forward and more of the cases playing out in the courts where, say, bakers and others are being fined and sued for not um, serving uh, couples in that, in that situation. And if I can just comment on that one, T. Uh, what was interesting is when it happened, because by God's grace, he's, he's put us in this city mm-hmm. to the Supreme Court just a few blocks from where I work. Mm-hmm. I, I left my office and went down there and walked mm. and to see it with my own eyes. Mm. I mean, there's, I think it is one thing to see it on the news and but to see it with my own eyes. Mm. Um, it's not a cause for fear because we serve a God who can't be conquered mm. and he's, he's with us. Mm. Romans eight. Mm. If, if he is for us, who can be against us? Nonetheless, uh, it was sobering. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure how else to describe it. I'm mean, mm. just walking around and seeing a bit of it. Um, walking through the celebrations of debauchery and, mm. and thinking about wow we are going these are people who were called to love to serve to have in our homes i'm thinking about that i think that'll probably be lumped in my predictions for 2016 because as you've alluded to yeah. i mean yeah so so like it or not this this issue has gotten a a profile in the country mm-hmm. Um, that woman one, I think, is disproportionate to um, the, the numbers affected mm-hmm. population-wise. Uh, but number two makes it now an, an unavoidable discussion. So if there have been churches who have been attempting to be quiet yeah. uh, and, and uninvolved, um, these sets of decisions make that posture increasingly yeah. um, in, in, impossible. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I'm ashamed on some levels to say, it seems to me that the church writ large, and sometimes myself, and things that I, I writers say, we we have though we have decades now of, of wrestling with these sets of issues. We, we're still not better able to talk about these things than we were in 1980 mm-hmm. or 1970 or what have you. Uh, and yet, the political and social landscape has changed significantly. Now, the other thing I want I would say about the whole gay marriage issue is this: use the word sobering. I, I like that word. I think it. I think it probably should sober us in at least three ways. Mm. Um, Just at the sort of individual walking around the Supreme Court level, observing things, um, the the, the immorality, the debauchery, and so on. We should be sobered as Christians um, to to see sin celebrated and displayed. We shouldn't be surprised by it, but we should be sobered by it. Um, For for such were some of us. So so we shouldn't be surprised, but we should be sobered. the other way in which it should sober us is it should chasten particularly evangelical triumphalism. Mm. You know, this mm. sense that, you know, um, evangelical Christianity is is the is the sort of marrow of the country and and will prevail and and sing, you know, I I'm seeing a lot of people having having those notions chastened, and that seems to me to be a good thing. Mm. And yet, on the other side, the third side, is it should sober. We should have any sense of despondency checked, too, right? So nothing that happened in the Supreme Court ruling actually interferes with the Supreme Court of the universe. Mm. You know, Christ still sits on his throne. Christ still rules. And, and we can turn that into a triumphalism. But what, what I'm suggesting here is it ought to be a ballast for us in these, in these rocky times. It, it ought to be something that, that puts concrete beneath our feet. So that we stand not with head bowed and, and defeated mm-hmm. because the kingdom has not suffered loss in this. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the cause of Christ still goes forward. And in some ways, these kinds of decisions clarify 
the gospel, mm-hmm. if we're faithful to the gospel message mm-hmm. itself. And so, um, yeah, those those sets of things are appropriately sobering, and uh, we should embrace that that sobriety. Mm-hmm. We, we should we should mm-hmm. put our arms around mm-hmm. uh, that kind of clarity mm-hmm. from these things. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, I think for me, looking back at 2015, there are actually kind of subsets of your categories. So uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, what I've found is is not just the movement, but the dialogue within evangelicalism Mm. about that movement, Mm. Mm. which to me has really revealed some cracks Mm. that I think still we're trying to fill and need to be filled. You're you're charitable to call them cracks. I know. All I need to do is put out the bait and then you'll come running. That's that's right. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the the ravines, man. Mm. I'm just, I mean, we were even talking at lunch over those crab cakes. I'm going to refer to them again. I mean, uh, but I mean, I've just been shocked by that, frankly. Mm. Shocked by, you know, having to articulate why black lives matter mm. uh and and even seeing you know the the nuances why these certain nuances need to be articulated of um of what you were saying of when i say this i don't mean all of this mm-hmm. when i say i am evangelical i don't mean i support abortion clinic shootings of course right. so when that's right. how the world might even use that term right uh, so I would I would just say the evangelical cracks and canyons being revealed in a number of conversations, uh, not just the Black Lives Matter. Point. Yeah. So I don't know if you no, know. that's good. I mean, yeah, you you're, you're putting your hand on something, and I don't want to jump over too far in the, in the conversation you want to have about 2016. But it does seem to me that um, what the Lord has set up providentially uh, in these conversations in evangelicalism is is another opportunity. Mm-hmm. Or, or another test. Mm-hmm. Um, evangelicals are known for many things, some some good and some not so good. And one of the not so good things that evangelicals um, uh, are known for is having missed the moral moment mm-hmm. in the civil rights movement and at other points in its history. And part of what those conversations suggest is there's a significant number of evangelicals poised right now to miss right. the moral opportunity, the moral moment. And, and that's not to say evangelicalism should sign off on sort of carte blanche, right. quote, Black Lives Matter and everything that people want to put under that. Sure. Uh, we have to be discerning, shoot a fish and spit out the bones, right? Mm-hmm. But it is to say that if our posture is completely oppositional and disengage or disengage, mm-hmm. then then we are we are poised. That's the very posture that helps us to defend what's unjust um, and helps us to miss. Mm-hmm. The moral opportunity. Mm-hmm. The other thing those conversations reveal is that we're we're still looking at an evangelical church that is almost completely undiscipled. Mm-hmm. That's right. When it comes to racial identity, racial That's attitudes, right. uh, and these sets of issues, right. we're looking at an evangelical church that is still almost altogether ignorant mm-hmm. of its African American counterparts. Mm-hmm. And um, and so these these kinds of things fall into those cracks or those ravines. They are they are explosions that that widen the ravines and widen the rifts um, if we're not careful and uh, and reveal some things that that uh, frankly at times are just ugly, mm-hmm. you know, just really ugly. And uh, here's here's what here's what um, when I'm troubled. Here's what troubles me about it. And I won't say what what I'm hopeful about in this. When I'm troubled, what troubles me about it is that many evangelicals my age older 
and a good number younger than me. So many evangelicals, 40s, 50s, 60s, and some in their 30s and late 20s. And I'm speaking here of, of my white brothers and sisters. Uh, some of them write and speak in ways that sound just like their segregationist grandparents. Mm-hmm. And they don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. They, they do not recognize it. And if you sort of try to point out, brother, I think that's actually racist in its assumptions. They're offended mm-hmm. and resistant. And on one level, I understand that. Nobody wants to be told that they're thinking something racist. Mm-hmm. But if 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 we have blinders, whatever position we're in, if if if, if I'm a Black Lives Matter advocate and I've, I've got blinders on, I'm never going to be able to see around those blinders unless I hear somebody from outside reflecting right. to me right. what they're hearing from me, and and really consider that. So the other part of the conversation is, man, there's some there's some old ways of thinking that the church has never been discipled out of adequately. Mm. They've been told it's no longer appropriate. Right. And, and so I think what a lot of people have done is said, well, I can't say that publicly. Right. I still feel it. I still think it. Right. And I don't even know how I should evaluate it. Just seems as how mom and dad thought, how I thought, and I'm mad about some stuff. And man, I think the enemy can just drop in all kinds of poison in that unexamined well. And, and I think some of that comes out in the conversation. But here's what I'm hopeful about. I also see a lot of people willing to be one. Mm and willing to engage and trying earnestly uh, to be up to speed and trying earnestly to live faithfully. Um, and, and, and they may be in different positions in their conclusions in any particular case or take a different view on any set of strategies. So it doesn't mean that they're agreeing lockstep, but I just love the wrestling. Mm-hmm. I, I just love to see my brothers and sisters wrestle to understand and to grow Mm -hmm. and to be faithful to Christ above all um, and and to to sort of work out their salvation in that sense Mm -hmm. in fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that encourages me and and makes me hopeful going forward. Mm -hmm. Praise God. I want to mention a couple resources about the things we talked about and then two things, last things about 2015 and then hop to 2016. Okay. Here we go. A couple resources. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it Ed Welch, Same Sex Attraction in the Church? I don't think that's Welch. I forget the author's Shaw. name, Shaw, but Sorry, that's Ed but Welch. that's the book. Yeah, Ed, Ed, Ed writes everything, so yeah, is that, yeah, we understand there, that. There we go. Uh, <laughs> or it's called the plausibility uh, the plausibility problem for the UK version. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard that's a tremendous resource. Yeah. Uh, obviously, your friend Kevin DeYoung wrote, "What does the Bible really teach or say mm-hmm. about homosexuality?" Mm-hmm. Uh, I just finished Trillia Newbell's United. It's a great book isn't on it? diversity and church. Oh, yeah. wonderful! Book. Check out the interview on the front porch that we did with Trillia when it first came out. There we go. Yeah, great video interview. Great. These are just great, helpful resources. And then, of course, you and I have written things. I wrote a piece called um, Why White Churches Are Hard for Black People. Mm. And, brother, I just want to commend you and praise God for the opportunity you had to speak with Ta-Nehisi Coates, author of Between the World and Me. You went to the Atlantic Summit about mm. race and justice. Mm. So in all of this, uh, none of this is to toot our own horns, but to say thank you to the Lord and there are resources out there for, I like the way you said it, people willing to be one. Amen. Two last things about 2015. Both of them start with the letter S. Number one, Stephen Curry. <laughs> Beast. <laughs> Beast. He, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm happy because I, I just did not grow up. In the, I came on the tail ends of Jordan, so I like remember him on the Wizards. And that doesn't Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you, you know poor what I'm saying? Soul. And I, you know what I'm saying? It's amazing. Oh. So, I mean. 
Now, here's, here's the thing. This, it, so it opens up all the debates. We can't, we can't debates. spend a long time. No, I'm, I'm about to call names, too, man. <laughs> we open up open up all kinds of debates. I got brothers and sisters like, you know, John O, you oh, know, and Trip Lee and Stephen Lee and all these guys talking about, you know, Steph Anthony Curry, Moore. Anthony Moore, uh, you know, is the GOAT, greatest of all time. And, you know, young bucks always think the guy in their cohort is the greatest. But I'm going to tell you something. Steph Curry is a machine. He's an android. He's not really human. That's right. uh, and the stuff he's doing on the court for a man his size, um, at, at his skill position, at, at, at I mean, just is just phenomenal. He's a, he's a joy to watch. Uh, now, I'm going to tell you, George the greatest of all time still. And um, you, you young bucks didn't see him play, you, you know. And he's a Carolina man. You should at least go back and watch film. Hey, man, I'm uh, saying, I'm but uh, he's still the greatest of all time. And and, and and here's why I make that case, not just even because of the rings. Uh, but every once in a while, you get players who change the game. Jordan changed the game. He even changed the fashion of the game. Um, and, uh, you know, before him, Dr. J did that. Dr. J saved two leagues. He was the greatest in his generation. Um, changed the fashion of the game, changed the way the game was played, changed what you expected of players. Um, Mike, Mike did that. We haven't yet seen if Steph and, and the style of play at Golden State will do that mm-hmm. or if that's really just a unique team right now. He's a young man. He, he may, in fact, do that. But at this point, you know, he hadn't yet done that, and uh, he might. You know, he might. He's great. So these young cats like John O'Neill, they need chill. <laughs> <laughs> they gonna get me back on Twitter, but you know. <laughs> Number two, most popular movie of the year. I think it just surpassed Jurassic World. If I'm correct, Star Wars. Oh, T. Listen, oh, listen, that man. movie was no, 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 drivel. No. No. <laughs> it was a dog of a movie. So again, I've revisited Boyhood Days and I watched all six of them. My wife was very gracious over like two she days. She was gracious. <laughs> you married way up, bro. <laughs> And um, it's an incredible saga. <laughs> so I mean, I just... Saga. It, it is an incredible... <laughs> you know what saga means in this context? What does it mean in this I, I'm just going to keep doing the same old movies I've been doing <laughs> it and make it act like it's, it's moving forward. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, my friend. No, 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 no. They're the parallels in here. The parallels. Some, some, also known as plagiarism. No, some people are going to say <laughs> I'm trying to shoehorn Christian theology. The parallels between that and some of the biblical themes, I think, demonstrate that man is just thinking God's thoughts after him. You look, you look puzzled. I'm going to write an article about it, and then you can... You do that, because that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you do that, because that's go. crazy. We need to talk about 2016. Yeah. One, one more thing on 2015? Just just, a, just a bullet point in terms of an issue. Yes. Uh, we can't leave 2015 without talking about the continuing effect of ISIS on the world. That's right. And um, and and things like the Syrian refugee crisis. That's right. That's, right. Um, that's a major story. Right. And it's one that all Christians should be concerned about, all citizens should be concerned about. Um, and I think it'll, again, it'll it'll feed into 2016 and things that, that happened there. That's right. No, that's right. So let's just go right, let's hop into 2016. Yeah. Predictions about 2016. Predictions, predictions. Um, Donald Trump's going to be the next U.S. president. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> And that's going to lead us into uh, pretty close to the next world war. As a prediction, I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Is that a real prediction? No, no. you know, you know, <laughs> you know. I was not I, sure what to do. I, I, like, do I, I do. Turn off the mic. But here's what I do think: think, and it's already happening, right? Uh, the presidential election continues to push the country into wider apart polls. Mm. Call it left, right, red, blue, whatever. Um, 
the 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 conservative right, whatever side, continues to get smaller, because um, what what a Donald Trump has done and and what a um, a Ben Carson has done in their rhetoric is is essentially at least in the primary, shifted the the right side of the ledger further right, and uh, and has sort of opened up the doors to a kind of fringe element on the right, and uh, like the Tea Party before it. The, the sort of Donald Trump supporters, uh, I think, could um, make that side of the ledger less and less plausible mm. for most of the country. Mm. So we shift right. Whatever happens in the presidential election, whether it's a Hillary Clinton or whoever the, the nominees will be, uh, left or right, Democratic, Republican, I think the next president in 2016 does bring us to uh, another theater of war. Mm. You know, I, I just... I don't know how you can counter ISIS, mm. except that you escalate either um, things that are happening already in the world with our military, or you move it to new theaters uh, of the world. Um, and one of the reasons that's going to be done is because of the fear that's in the country, the demand in the country for protection. Um, a lot of that's irrational. Sure. Um, and, and because of the way in which it seems... Um, Politicians sometimes uh, default to conflict mm. as a way of um, demonstrating their bona fides um, in terms of, you know, being tough and using American power or moral authority or what have you. So I think the table's set for that. Um, and in some ways, because of the atrocities of ISIS, it seems to me the country has forgotten its, its war fatigue. Mm. If you go back, you know, 10 years ago... Mm. Uh, the country is really quite tired of war, and and the presidents, the the nominees were were running on the notion of how quickly they would bring our troops out of conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, now the conversation is what we're going to do about ISIS, and and that seems to reset the table uh, for going into conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so that's one prediction. Uh, and again, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. Right. <laughs> Families are all Lord willing. Um, I have a prediction. I'm going to take it back to the realm of sports. I think Golden State's going for two. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Write it down. Make it plain. There we go. So, this, uh, so, so let, me, let me go back to Steph Curry thing just real quickly. <laughs> Here's the best thing Steph Curry's ever done. That's why I like it. Mm-hmm. He beat LeBron James. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> Anytime. Listen. Yeah, you know, LeBron James loses in the final. It's a good year for NBA basketball. It's not. It is. It's a good year for NBA basketball because it, it sets up. LeBron will be back next year. Cleveland will be stronger. Everybody's looking for the rematch. Can Golden State do it again? They had the second best record in NBA history last year. That's right. Next to the Bulls. Yep. That's saying something. Yeah. That's saying something. And so, play? yeah. And, and, and they're seven-headed monster. And five they're not the Goliaths. Yeah. They're the Davids. Yeah. That's right. You know, so LeBron boys are supposed to be the Goliaths, right? They're yeah. supposed to be the big guys, the presumptive champions. Yeah. And so I, I'm with you. I don't I don't think they have it in them no. uh, to beat Golden State if Golden State's healthy. And, um, yeah, I, I make it two in a row. Make it two. What you, you got one more? Uh, yeah, I got two more, actually. One, one is this. Um, I think gun control is going to be a big political issue next mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. For, for a lot of reasons. I think um, gun control is going to be a good issue. You know, Russ Moore just wrote a post, uh, I think it was called, Is Gun Control a Christian Issue? Mm-hmm. Um, whatever you think about the substance of that post, here you have the, the president of ERLC mm-hmm. um, 
coming on it publicly, and not, and not just him, but lots of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, from the initiative, the president uh, has just um, offered the country in terms of tighter gun control. That's right. Um, to you know the conversations about um, police and community interactions and guns in their place, or conversations about violence in the community and and guns in their place. And that um, I, I think we're headed toward a. a, a I hope we're headed toward a gun control discussion we've never quite had in the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, for me, and I know just a couple more resources. I saw you, uh, I think you retweeted something John Piper wrote. Uh, I forget the title of the article, but it, John Piper and guns. I mean, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll come mm-hmm. up. Uh, just mm-hmm. a long piece. And there's been a couple of responses to that. So I think that yeah. conversation is yeah. on the rise. Clearly. Well, he, he was, John was responding to the President of Liberty. Mm, University, right, I think Jerry it was, Jerry Falwell Jr., yeah. who had basically encouraged the students at Liberty to arm themselves yeah. in case of, say, an ISIS attack. Right. And and John called uh, Dr. Falwell and, and spoke with him personally, asked clarifying questions and so on. And, and the fruit of that is his post where he wanted to argue that such counsel to students was contrary to the, to the tone and the mm. spirit and the warp and woof of the scripture. And I think he makes a compelling case there. And and my my sort of in my retweet there, um, you know, I, I just sort of said, okay, if if that's true of students on a campus, mm-hmm. I don't know why that's not true of Christians in general. Mm-hmm. Right? And and that elicited all the kind of response that you would expect, pro and con. But but this is part of why I think, okay, we're talking about gun control. And uh I think that conversation picks up in the new year. Mm-hmm. One uh, prediction, it's more of a question. I'm wondering um, if more Christian schools, colleges, and seminaries are going to close and some schools will get bigger because of that. And I'm wondering that simply because I'm wondering with online education increasing, and frankly, these schools just not having the numbers they need, I'm wondering if those are going to stay open. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I, I think what we're going to see is a change in the landscape. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see some schools move toward more uh, non-traditional forms, online, so on and so forth. Um, and we mentioned Liberty a moment ago. Liberty is the beast on, that online. Like that's a machine. Yeah, I mean, that's a machine. I mean, you've got the Harvards and others of the world coming to take a look at what Liberty is doing there. Uh, I tend to think it is a place where, where our friend Al Mohler, I think, is probably prescient. I think he's probably right. And, and and I've heard Al say at times that the schools that will survive these transitions uh, will be the schools that are in it because they have conviction mm-hmm. that that if you're ta- a Christian university uh, or college and and you're you're sort of nominally Christian That's right. and you've moved in the direction of a general liberal arts education and become sort of nondescript, it's hard to know why a student would come to your university rather than a secular university with a, with a better reputation and, frankly, more resources right. in the program of study. Right. It's going to be harder for those schools to compete. But if you're, you're a school that carves out a very clear Christian identity and witness, and you're in it because you're convinced that there's a life and worldview to be cultivated and shaped and passed on to students, and, and because of that, there's a sense of calling, and you're willing to sort of pay the cost for that calling— uh, those are the folks, I think, mm-hmm. who are going to have the best chance of whether they adapt and do more online stuff or they continue to be bricks and mortar, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on-campus institutions. Sure. Those are the folks who I think are going to have the best chance of weathering right. the, the the sort of tremendous changes in higher education these days. That's right. 
Let me hear your last prediction before we hop up off. Uh, last prediction. I think we're going to see more church planting in the inner cities. Mm. And I don't I don't mean they're the, the sort of gentrified or redeveloped parts of the city and so hipster urban uh, church plants. I, I, I think that's almost done, actually. Uh, I think we're going to see more guys like um, Shylin and Brian Davis uh, in Philadelphia, John O, who I was joking a moment ago, and Tripp and Richard and Moe uh, in West End, Atlanta, uh, Kempton Turner uh, in East St. Louis, and uh, I know our friend D.A. Horton and, and others are, are, are looking to plant um, in inner city L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, boy, that just makes my heart glad before the Lord. Mm-hmm. I just I just burn with joy because of that. And I'm praying, Lord, breathe on it, flame mm-hmm. it, flame it, make it, make it grow. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have large communities and sections of cities that have been very underserved mm-hmm. uh, by the church, um, they're, now don't get me wrong, there are churches there that are doing a good work, doing the best they can, have uh, weathered a lot of uh, odds, and, and they are to be uh, appreciated and loved and encouraged and, and built up and joined and made stronger. Sure. Um, but but for fresh life and fresh energy and, and more witness and more light and more gospel preaching in the community, um, I'm, I'm happy to see church planting too. And uh, so I, I'm going to predict that uh, and not just U.S. cities, but I think about um, 20 schemes and our mm. brothers in Scotland mm. planting into schemes or housing projects in Scotland. I think about our brother like Harshit Singh mm. in mm. India and Lucknow. Uh, Lucknow. Yeah. Um, but, but the major cities of the world, I think, are going to see more church planting investment. And, and some of that, more of that, is going to be in the, the least reached, harder parts of those communities. Mm. Lord, let it be so. Let it be so. Amen. Let mm-hmm. it be so. Uh, well, T, I've, I've appreciated this last year with you. I've had fun on the porch, man. Likewise. It's been a blessing, Likewise. Uh, but I think it is time. Well, before you before you quit, okay. on that note, I had to say something appreciative, too. Oh. I, give you, I give you a hard time. Uh, it's how I sanctify you. <laughs> uh-huh. But, brother, I just want to say the Lord has given you a keen mind. He's given you a, a warm heart. Uh, he's given you a zealous spirit uh, and a creative spirit. And it's been a joy to labor with you. And this podcast wouldn't happen without you. And so much of the front porch wouldn't happen without you. And uh, just grateful to labor with you, brother, and eager to see uh, how he continues to bless your seminary studies and how he continues to guide you as you think about preparation for uh, pastoral ministry and um, and how he blesses your family and all that good stuff. So it's a joy, joy to serve with you, brother. And uh, when I'm giving you a hard time, that's just my love language. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and now the folks know, man. Thank you for that encouragement. Before the people on the porch hear me cry. Uh, we'll get off, and then, Lord willing, God will give us grace to keep uh, bringing some more podcasts this year. Amen. Happy New Year, folks. Happy New Year.